Welcome to the Wait and Speak podcast. I'm your host, Rekweer Wait. In this episode, I speak with Professor Vim Nadia. Vim is an economist active in academia, business and public policy making. His focus is on innovation, technology and trade and the consequences for human well-being, security and prosperity. According to the Stanford and Elsevier Rankings version 5, Vim is among the top 2% of scientists in the world. We discussed his recent research paper on late industrialization and global value chains under platform capitalism. Enjoy the interview. Vim, welcome on the Wait and Speak podcast. Hi, thanks for inviting me. Great to have you, um, Vim. And uh, we're here today to talk about your recent paper, Late Industrialization, Global Value Change Under Cap- uh, Platform Capitalism. And, and there's a lot of interesting research in, in this paper. You specifically talk around global value change, chains and the impact of digital platforms and how this impacts industrial policy. Could you give us a bit of a background just for the context of the paper of how you consider global value chains and then digital platforms and the implications they hold for industrialization? Rick, yes, uh, thank you very much. Well, it's, it's a very big uh, you know, task that you've just given me. Because all three of the, the, the components that you allude to, industrialization, global value chains, and digital platforms, these are traditionally three big topics. Um, and, and also very, you know, industrialization itself is also a topic with quite a deep history. People have been talking about industrialization and dissecting it and forming theories. Mm-hmm. We can also argue to a large extent, um, you know, Marxism, Keynesian, uh, etc. These all are traditions that came from the Industrial Revolution. Then more recently, we've had globalization. We have seen, especially since the end of the Second World War, we had seen fast integration and growth in global trade. And we have also seen the fragmentation of, for instance, the international, let's call it where goods are being manufactured and where they are being consumed, right? So Mm -hmm. with globalization, the, the great benefit was that people could specialize in production and they could diversify their consumption. So this is also going back to one of the founders of of modern economics, David Ricardo, Mm -hmm. who argued that it's really beneficial for the world to have free trade because that allows for this type of of focus on on which part of the production uh, a country can do very well. So if a country is, for instance, specialized uh, in, say, low-cost agriculture, it can specialize in that. And then it can trade with the rest of the world. And with the money that it earns, it can buy all the goods that it needs for its own consumption. Right. So you argue that everybody is better off than compared to a situation of all Turkey. Mm-hmm. And that's indeed true. And that was what was driving globalization since the Second World War. And, and we saw during this period of time uh, fast growth. Uh, across the world, we saw we saw also, especially since the end of the 1970s, when China opened its economy up, we saw a dramatic fall in global global poverty. So, you know, mm-hmm. literally hundreds of millions of people have been uh, have been exiting from poverty over the last two or three decades, uh, as a result, amongst others, of this um, you know global market that developed. Mm-hmm. And then more more recently, even 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 than than globalization, in the last I would say ten fifteen years, we had seen the rise of um, of of the digital economy. Some people call it the digital revolution, 
it, the digital revolution is sent by some people, and I'll, I'll be a little bit critical about that later on in our uh, discussion. Mm-hmm. Some see the digital, uh, see this as, as heralding a fourth industrial revolution. I, I think we need to be a little bit more careful or circumspect to talk about a fourth industrial revolution. I think it is also, uh, it, it is a lot of hype in it. Mm-hmm. I think it's perhaps a wish list of the World Economic Forum, to put it um, you know, kindly. I don't think we have a fourth industrial revolution, but we do have a digital revolution and we certainly have a a connectivity revolution and an information revolution characterized by the ubiquity of data and computing in our lives. And in the last 10, 15 years, this has also changed the way in which um, business is being done. And because businesses drive the process of globalization we have now seen that with the rise of global platforms there are also changes in how these global um, platforms are shaping globalization in other words how the production of goods and the consumption of goods are fragmented across across the world Mm -hmm. and so what we see now is that um, for countries that have not yet industrialized and this includes the majority of countries for instance in africa also some countries in latin america and southeast asia that for these countries, it seems that industrialization is not so easy as it was before. Mm-hmm. And I must say, it was never really easy to industrialize. It's always, uh, you know, a, quite a complex uh, challenge, but it's become even more difficult than in the past. So this may sound a little bit pessimistic. So if you're, if you're, if you're dealing with global um, uh, development and the catching up of African countries, one may be concerned because certainly... Um, Manufacturing and industrialization has been important in the past for almost, you know, every country that moved from being rural and um, poor uh, and agricultural based to a modern urban service-based economy went through a process where the manufacturing sector really led to high growth in productivity, high growth in learning, high education rates uh, that accumulated um, to countries that are rich. So the question is, can countries then, uh, you know, if, if they cannot industrialize more, can they use other ways of getting rich? And in fact, in the last two or three years, that's kind of like being the, the reaction amongst many um, economists and policymakers to say, oh, well, if industrialization is now getting so difficult, maybe we can skip industrialization. Maybe industrialization doesn't really matter anymore. Maybe we mm-hmm. can have industries without smokestacks or we can have um, other kinds of you know, services with the characteristics of manufacturing that we can promote from tourism to financial services. Um, you know, you call it, there's been all these kind of like proposals. And and I think kind of like this may perhaps be a little bit mistaken. Um, I think it's still really important um, what you what you manufacture. You know that, that countries that manufacture goods that you can drop on your on your foot. I think that's still really very important, um, and that we really need to think about um, the extent to which uh, we can now through. Uh, policies, whatever they may be, how developing countries and industrially lagging countries can still industrialize despite the fact that with digital platforms and um, with the global value chains, it may have become more difficult to industrialize. So, yeah, so in a, in a, in a, so in a kind of like a long, long uh, number of sentences to your, to your question, um, this is how I see the current interaction or interface between globalization, industrialization, and uh, digital platforms. Mm-hmm. And and you made an interesting comment. Vim. It it's still important for for development to have 
physical production you mentioned the good something you can drop on your foot so obviously the digital developments and digital products and, and all of that has a role but for development you can't simply skip ahead you mentioned i think skipping ahead of or over um, industrialization they, that that's still that's still quite quite important so i think focusing on industrialization it's becoming harder you mentioned it earlier you said it nicely that it's it was difficult to industrialize to begin with but if we now say these platform capitalism how how can you give us some examples how that is complicating industrialization i think you you mentioned these many examples but maybe you can give us a few pointers around how it impacts industrialization well firstly um digital platform firms and let's first define digital platform firms mm. because these digital platform firms are an organizational form and they they engage very much in business model innovation and that makes them very competitive to a certain extent that they are deadly in terms of competitiveness and this makes it very difficult um, for even brick and mortar manufacturing firms uh, in many countries to um, yeah to remain standing if they are faced with competition from uh, digital platform firms mm. so digital platform firms are firms that um, that provide basically a service to consumers but by bringing consumers and producers or various groups of consumers together on a platform so a typical example a simple example of a platform would be to think for instance of your of your xbox or your sony playstation as a platform right so what sony does is with its with its playstation it brings together people who want to play games on the one side of the of the platform and on the other hand they bring together people who want to develop games so game developers mm-hmm. and in this process of creating this platform the more game developers they they have the more people will um will will buy the playstation because they can play more games mm. and the more people who buy the playstation the more people would like to develop games in the first place for the game for the for the playstation so a digital platform um makes the um is when a digital platform is successful it manages to to overcome this what what could be a chicken egg problem you know do you first have to have the customers do you first have to have the producers so once they have overcome this they can then um you know grow by 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 very rapidly they they are honest uh, data economies of scale in the sense that they um they they the more consumers they have the more um, producers they have the more producers the more consumers they have so they have this um uh, the snowball effect and mm-hmm. once they are off uh, on the snowball effect it's very difficult for a new firm to be an entrant so take facebook as an example so facebook similarly brings together people um that want to be in touch with one another to share experiences etc and so the it, it, it has direct network effects in the sense that you wouldn't like to join Facebook if none of your friends are on Facebook, right? Mm. But if your friends are on Facebook, you would like to join as well. But then if another platform comes around, uh, how would it get into the market? It would need to, uh, to get both you and your friends off and, and to attract you to enter and use the new um, platform. And that is why we haven't really seen any social media platforms like Facebook entering into the market because they just cannot uh, significantly take away some of the people who are already invested in in facebook yeah. for these reasons and so then facebook just sells advertising revenue um to as as part of its business model and it's the same with google google is also a, a large platform firm that started out as a search engine 
the more people uses um, it as a search engine, it gathers more data on what people uh, do, and it improves the search engine, and then more people use it because it is of better quality. And so again, they have that snowball effect to become very large very quickly. And because many people um, go to the website, they sell advertising as their business model as well. So what we have in common with many of these platforms is now, of course, is that they become digital platforms. Like I said, um, Google, for instance, uh, take all the data from people using its platform and it provides a better service with that data. The same with Amazon. If you search on Amazon, um, Amazon can see what you are searching for, what your search history has been, and it can improve the product. Mm -hmm. We see the same on Netflix. So Netflix is also a platform that brings together movie producers with, um, with viewers um, through a digital platform. And Netflix can uh, see what your history uh, has been in the, in the past, and it uses an artificial intelligence, machine learning algorithm to basically predict what kind of movies you would like. And also not only yourself, but also people who are similar to you in taste will have recommendations offered by the Netflix algorithm. So it becomes very user-friendly and it becomes very difficult for new firms to offer that same level of service because they just don't have the data to provide such a good um, such a good service. So that is the that is the what what I what what we call as a as a digital platform. Now, what is digital platform capitalism? Well, digital platform capitalism is the idea that more and more markets get um, get kind of like drawn in, either dominated by or part of a digital platform. So if you think about um, you know our regular retail. We've experienced it with dramatic intensity during the COVID crisis when we could only do online shopping in many cases and in many countries. Mm -hmm. um, and we saw that, you know, entire economies are moving online, you know, where you used to go to a physical shopping mall and you had all this um, infrastructure um, in terms of buildings and bricks and mortar. Now you have all this infrastructure, bricks and mortar belonging to some online um, digital company. Mm. So Amazon Web Services is a good a good example, again, um, of that. Also, you have Jumia in Africa and you have Alibaba in China as, as really large, um, you know, kind of like generalized platforms where you can sell, you know, all kinds of goods, you know, like the typical supermarkets that have gone online. But you also have other, other platforms that are more specialized. You have platforms that specialize, for instance, in just raising financing like Kickstarter, or you have platforms that are just interested, uh, for instance, in, uh, you know, build, bringing people together who want to invest in digital asset management, um, mm -hmm. Uh, Etc. So you you and and you have of course the credit card companies are also um, you know platform companies. They bring together merchants and people wanting to 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 buy uh, goods to have to have for instance credit cards etc. So we we have all this proliferation of platforms that are characterizing our economy. And if we also look at the market um, value of the ten most um, valuable firms in the world based on market capitalization. Then we find now that about eight of those 10 are digital platform firms, right? So mm -hmm. if we take the biggest firms in the world now, and the most valuable firms and the firms that are growing fastest and most of the unicorns in the world, they all tend to have one thing in common. They tend to be a digital platform firm. Mm -hmm. And this is what we call by digital platform capitalism, that the nature of our free market or market system are increasingly taking on the characteristics defined by these digital platform firms. Mm -hmm. So. So in, in, in the past, if we thought just about, you know, competition, we, we used to see a bookseller 
having a bookstore competing with another bookseller, uh, maybe further down or in another part of the city. Today, the competition is much more, um, in, a, in a sense, much more complex and vicious because we have now competition between the digital platforms and the brick and mortar firms, the old legacy type of, of, of pipeline firms. Mm. But we also have competition between the digital platforms. So we have competition, say, between Amazon and Google, especially for advertising revenue at the moment. So this is called Goliath against Goliath type of, of competition. But then we also have competition on the digital platforms between what we can call sometimes even subsistence entrepreneurs. There are there are even now research being done on subsistence entrepreneurs on Facebook or on Amazon Web Services. So you open up a firm, um, you know, you sell your goods through Amazon, you will have competition on Amazon itself. And the rules of that competition will be set by Amazon, not by the, the legal system in which you are typically operating in your country, right? So it becomes completely different dynamics. So all these type of, of, of um, you know, of firms and the way they operate and how big they become and how, how ubiquitous they become and the nature of competition that they are engaging in becomes, becomes different from what we have been used to. And that is what we call, you know, digital platform capitalism. There is one last element of digital platform capitalism to mention as well. And that is that we see um, the attempts by regulators to act against the misuse and abuse of monopolistic power that the digital platform companies obtain. That is getting more and more difficult because of the nature of the monopolies that these companies have. So in the 19th century, when big companies like Standard and Poor and, and others were broken up by anti-monopoly or antitrust um, um, actions of governments, these were companies that were based on supply economies of scale. So, um, you know, they had, they had huge um, scale um, in terms of infrastructure and it was possible to break them up. They didn't depend on that scale for their success. But with the digital companies, they've got demand economies of scale, um, like I said, in terms of the snowball effects of more customers. So, you know, breaking up Facebook or Google will actually take away a huge amount of consumer surplus or consumer value because it will not be so valuable for consumers anymore if there are 20 small little Googles or 20 small little Facebooks because you just cannot connect with so many people and you just cannot have the same quality of service if you have less data to do that on. So um, the the difficulty for regulators now to act against um, the big um, platform companies are also dif different and this also makes it um, more difficult to um, police their abuses and also the long-term effects. We're not completely sure yet what these type of dominant firms in the economy will mean over the long run for business dynamics, for in innovation, for entrepreneurship. Mm. And so I think this is a very um, relevant and very topical um, uh, you know, issue for researchers and for policymakers to think about how do we regulate and how do we keep uh, a digital platform capitalism, how do we keep that dynamic? Um, how do you keep that competitive? How do we allow new firms to enter and how do we make sure that the incumbents do not abuse their market power? So yes, um, this this is um, you know I hope I've, I've I've come to your question to describe you know how this platform capitalism work and what digital platform companies are, and of course they make it difficult um, for new companies to to enter, and this is also why they make industrialization so difficult. So. If, for instance, like Germany now and also explicitly China is doing, they are building a digital backbone for their manufacturing firms. You know, they are basically building uh, digital twins mm -hmm. for their factories. This is increasing their competitiveness. 
it also means that if they have data that they that they use on their consumers, they know their consumers much better. It means they are starting to engage in customization of products for consumers. And if you if you customize products for consumers, say for instance, you know, shoes, people can now you know buy shoes that they want. They design their own shoes or they design their own glasses online and they get a customized product shipped to them. The same with cars. You may maybe actually now be able to print the, the, the outer shell of your of your car in the color that you want. So if that happens, you need to be much closer to where your consumer are rather than where the, the, the resources are. And so companies now tend also more and more when they are part of these digital platforms, they tend more and more to move back to where the consumer is. And we've seen this now in the growing uh, trend of what they call reshoring. Many companies who are opening up branches in developing countries are moving back uh, to advanced economies to be closer to their consumers. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, this is also something that may make um, industrialization in the future more difficult. Good point in there. Something else that you mentioned is around unicorns and the number of startups that are actually platform businesses. So it's, it's quite interesting and probably something a topic on its own to what we're discussing in detail now, but I think it's quite interesting what happens to incentives if you think about startups trying to be the next big tech firm or the next big tech company and, and the implications that holds for, for innovation. Where are, what, where are entrepreneurs focusing their attention and, and what the implications are for that? And then the other element you mentioned is, of course, regulation. It's, it's much more difficult to, to regulate these types of businesses for reasons you've mentioned, and also the implications on consumer surplus, which is quite interesting. Yes, indeed. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I think the implications will be significant. We, I think, I, I think partly the the digital uh, economy has already been responsible, in my view, for a reduction in innovation and entrepreneurship. You know, so business dynamics across the Western world has been falling since the nineteen seventies. Um, and initially, it was until until the dot com crisis, the high tech sector was exempt from that. But since then, the high tech sector is also part of that. And I don't think we have the final answer yet. But the, what the emerging answer is that at least partly, um, you know, the idea that um, that venture capital, you know, and we've got really lots of venture capital being available since the global financial crisis. You know, we're all swimming in cash, and interest rates have been very low. So, you know, if you have a lot of cash and you don't get a lot of money in the bank, what do you do? Well, you go into venture capital, but you want to have a great and quick return. And so a lot of um, investors have been uh, really looking forward to put their money into short-term startups that can very quickly scale. So they've been looking at these type of unicorns. Um, And, um, you know, I think the jury is still out whether we haven't seen a lot of um, inflated or blown up type of of, of firms um, and and assets bubbles that have been created as a result of this, um, you know, cash chasing a number of um, of startups. So, you know, with FHX's collapse recently, we typically see how these things can happen, you know, that you've got a very uh, person selling very convincing business model for very quickly scaling up in the digital economy. And then it can take up elements of, you know, Ponzi schemes and it can take up elements of fraud and um, and and certainly, I think there are most many more most more companies than we think that that claim they are they are really in a digital scale up phase or that they are using AI than really do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have to be careful for that as well. Um, and of course, we've also seen that lots of um, startups just want to um, create a quick startup so that they can perhaps be taken over by one of the big incumbent digital firms. We know that Facebook and um, 
uh, and 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 Google, for instance, they have been spending quite a lot in buying up new startups. So it's not often the case that startups want to grow, become big. They want to be taken over by the digital incumbents. And then finally, there is something that's called the killing zone now. So this killing zone is is also related to this. But the big startup firms, they have deep deep pockets. Uh, of big platform firms, and they can buy up startups that they think may be a threat to them. Mm-hmm. And so we, we've had, for instance, the case of um, um, you know Facebook taking over Instagram uh, because they saw that maybe this is a, a, a threat to their business model. Mm-hmm. And so it may be that over time, these type of behaviors or new ways of investing uh, could lead to a further decline in the creation of new firms. You mentioned again, obviously, that the regulations and, and, and the complications for regulating these businesses. Can you talk us through some of the key implications if you think about industrial policy and, and global value chain participation? Um, where, where can policymakers start? Obviously, there's a lot in it, but are there some key areas they can try and start on? Well, I think partly Europe is taking the lead in that. And of course, they are. this is still some you know, new new territory it's still early days so it has to be evaluated and i think you know as um as as the european union and other governments um, start with legislation and also um we will have more and more perhaps court cases i think this will this will give a better indication of what work and what can work Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so Europe has, as as is famously is GDPR, which is one of the most advanced um, legislative frameworks for data privacy. So this is basically to uh, to try and um, you know give the ownership of data to the owner or the consumer. You know, if it's your data or my data, I should be able to own it. Uh, we should not have a situation where you know some company can take our data and 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 monetize that to the extent that we end up paying you know for goods that have been done on our own type of property or our own uh, data so that's the the main aim of of that and um, the european union has also been active in in slapping a, a number of um, fines on the big digital platform companies including google quite quite a, a large number of fines on google already in the last couple of years for um, abuse of its uh, monopoly power. So I think these cases are very instructive and, and need to be looked at. I know that there are also, um, you know, legal cases and actions, um, you know, lo- looking at, for instance, competition on Amazon web services or on Amazon's marketplace. So if you are, if you're a small business on Amazon's marketplace and maybe Amazon, uh, you know, think you a potential threat or they like your business um, field and they want to enter into that, they can very quickly uh, you know, cause you a lot of damages. Also, your competitors may use all kinds of, um, you know, procedures in on Amazon itself to damage your business. They may, for instance, just post, a, for instance, they might post a little um, uh, piece of information on the web saying, oh, we brought, informa- we bought a product from this uh, company selling on Amazon. And when we open up the package, the the, the goods exploded, you know, caught fire and caused a fire in your house. And then according to Amazon safety standards, they will then, you know, stop you from selling your goods. Even before they have independently verified that this is not, you know, somebody just pretending or, or a competitor that are spreading, um, you know, false information. So there's still a lot of um, of of um, learning that we need to do through um, through this through the, through these type of of actions, but I think certainly what I want to emphasize is that the um, 
the oversight in keeping the economy dynamic is very important. You know, the regulatory role in that and not to uh, let any abuses, um, uh, you know, go by and allow firms to accumulate these abuses. That's the one point. And then mm-hmm. maybe also a final point here to notice, um, and this is also a point of, um, of, of danger, is that um, the big digital platforms are very good at lobbying. Mm-hmm. So they spend, they spend millions in lobbying policymakers. Um, and we have seen with the big banks in the in the in the nineteen from the nineteen seventies onwards, the big banks um, were also very um, good at influencing policymakers. You know, so especially in the U.S., there is what they call this revolving door between, say, Wall Street and Main Street, mm. um, and and this this also signifies that uh, the bankers in the U.S. were so. Um, powerful in terms of shaping the agenda of government you know that they basically convinced government that that the deregulation of the banking sector in the US was the economically right thing to do that it was in everybody's interest so ideologically they captured the attention of the policymakers and i think it's we see very much the same thing you know if i if i look at some of the recent so called ai grand strategies of different countries in the world you really see that it, it tends to be, in my view, some of them seems to be almost to be written by Google and Facebook or the big digital platform companies mm. um, in the sense that, it, that these strategies kind of like pander to, to these. Um, so I, th- I think we need to be careful and we need to be very um, clear and transparent about, um, you know, where our policies are coming from and make sure that these policies are not really being detected, di- dictated by the global platform companies like the oil industry in the past dictated policies, like the tobacco industry dictated policies, like the financial industry dictated policies. We need to be careful for that kind of policy capture uh, to occur. Hmm. That, that's very insightful. And I think that that really is striking this, this um, key point around oversight. Um, there's lots of more research that can be done. There's obviously a lot of unintended consequences, but especially for policy, the key point you mentioned, the, the, the big uh, drive that goes into lobbying policymakers and we need to be sure policy delivers the best results and it's not overly influenced to, to a specific uh, to a specific viewpoint that exactly. is to and the benefit of all. You know, and also that these companies pay their fair share of tax. Um, oh, of course, yes. And, and, and that, that's, a, that's a big other other point if you look at taxation globally around um yeah what's happening around taxes that's a big big element so it's influencing influencing policy but also what what are they contributing to development in in, in terms of tax exactly yes Vim, thanks so much again for for joining um i will share a link um to your paper in the show notes any other final comments um or, or um, suggestions for anyone interested in this topic i know I think your, your paper cites a lot of, of um, the literature already. Um, any other thoughts? Otherwise, happy to wrap up. Okay, no, thank you, uh, Rick. I hope it was interesting also to the listeners uh, on this topic. I think it's a growing topic. And um, thank you also for flagging the, um, the paper that's published. It's under open access. Um, there's also a policy brief that is um, part of the um, University of Johannesburg's um, working paper series of the uh, South African chair in industrialization so that's also as a policy brief available mm-hmm. um yes and i and i think um you know i think the final word is that um although industrialization is becoming more complex i think that shouldn't discourage um 
policymakers, at least in Africa, to to pursue industrialization. And I think there are also certain elements that we didn't touch upon, but maybe that is something for you know for future uh, discussion. But there are also aspects of the digital revolution that may make certain aspects of industrialization, entrepreneurship, and innovation perhaps easier. Um, also for countries, and um, I think especially for you know um, agriculturally led um, uh, development and manufacturing in Africa, and helping to ensure food security. Uh, issues. I think technology will be really important to increase food security, uh, both in terms of the availability and the distribution of food in future. So it's not that we should be afraid of of digital uh, platforms or digital technology. We should also not be afraid of technologies like AI and others. I think we should really focus on how to harness these so that we can actually boost industrialization and boost manufacturing uh, in Africa as a way of catching up uh, in terms of economic development. Mm-hmm. No, that that's well said. And and I think we'll, we'll definitely catch up on another episode as well um, to, to discuss this some more. And um, obviously you're doing a lot of research on other areas and AI as well. So it will be great to speak to you again in the future. Thank you. That concludes today's episode. Thanks for listening.